So number 218 was selected by Brother Jonathan, and we'll happily mark that and use that later in the service this morning. As was mentioned earlier, perhaps it'd be well to comment on Psalm 26.8 as we begin our lesson today. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thine house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. The consideration that's ours to look forward to an assembly period in which we can magnify and exalt the name of God is truly a magnificent thing, and I'm sure we're each thankful for that today. And that really does bring us to the title of the lesson, Challenges of Thanksgiving. For the next few moments, I would invite us to give some thought to some matters that might be introduced as follows. We each know that this is a season of the year recognized as Thanksgiving. Some three days ago, there were many families that assembled and gathered and enjoyed perhaps an abundant meal. Perhaps also a time of togetherness that hasn't been enjoyed maybe since this time last year. All the while, many matters of thanksgiving perhaps come before us, and quite frankly, many times it is this time of year when we are most aware and most knowledgeable about the matter of thanksgiving. But all the while that we may think of it more, it still does present its challenges, doesn't it? Maybe we wrestle with them from time to time. It was my thinking that we might use the lesson this morning to in fact consider in some detail 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 to help each of us as we give consideration to thanksgiving and the matter that it ought to have in your life and in mine. You'll notice at the bottom of that slide I've actually recorded the very lesson text of today. It's the one that was just read a moment ago by Brother Jeremy. That text again reads, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." Although the lesson text is brief, although it's a rather short passage, nonetheless, as we give thought to the way in which the book of 1 Thessalonians ends, we notice that there are many things that are written in such short fashion. If you'll notice, in fact, in verses 15 through 28, although that's a large number of verses, it probably encompasses only about half of one side of one page of your Bible. Paul, in fact, in almost bullet-like fashion, gave a large number of brief matters which nonetheless are greatly important. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. And on and on that list seems to go. And every one of them, as Paul closed that book, he presented this particular issue that was to be kept in mind, implemented day by day, and used to draw each and every one closer to a proper service of God. In fact, one could devote a rather lengthy list of lessons to all of them, but today our topic will only be verse 18. In everything give thanks. As we give some consideration to that, may I simply ask us to observe how that verse develops and to do so beginning as follows. Let's take it basically sections or words at a time. You'll notice it begins by in everything. Literally, in the original language, that meant in all things, in every way, or literally in all. It's a very encompassing way of beginning the verse, and Paul captures our attention by asserting that in every consideration, the following is to be an abundant part of your consideration. You'll notice it might begin as in this way. It certainly highlights a prevailing and very common attitude about the subject before us. 
I say common and prevailing because you and I know that we're about to discuss giving thanks. That's going to be the next element that's in the verse. And so Paul is describing this consideration of mental note in which in every situation, in all circumstances, give thanks. That immediately poses a rather notable challenge to us, doesn't it? Because we can no doubt think of many situations in life that are not causes for celebration, it seems. You get bad news from the doctor, you're involved in a car wreck, some other tragedy seems to come your way, and yet, is that still to be something for which we give thanks? The language doesn't seem to suggest that that's what Paul had in mind. What Paul had in mind, as you'll notice later on that same slide, was a mental appreciation and understanding that in every circumstance there are nonetheless things in life for which we can be thankful. There are always, it seems, those that have worse conditions than we. And there are seemingly are always others that suffer in different ways and perhaps in many more intense matters than we do. The language that Paul used perhaps challenges us to think about some of these applications. In Philippians 4 verse 12, for instance, here was the inspired apostle himself, the same one that wrote this book, wrote that one. And there he said, I've learned how to be abased and I have learned how to abound. He could even state that he himself could see the different sides of that same coin. As often as he had been so abundantly and enthrallingly blessed, he also found himself in times of dire want. There were times that Paul went hungry. There were times that Paul suffered greatly. There were times he was beaten. He even made a listing of all these matters in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. As he listed them, we certainly would say Paul wasn't thankful for the matter itself, but wasn't he thankful that he could nonetheless bear it as a Christian? And the opportunity that was his to set forth an example of Christianity even in those circumstances. He was very thankful, wasn't he? that there was the blessed Savior standing at His side. Did He not admit in 2 Timothy 4? In verses 11 through 18 of that chapter, we have in fact a rather remarkable passage because it gives us a glimpse of this one as He reached near the conclusion of the last letter that the Holy Spirit chose to preserve. Paul at that point was shortly to stand trial again. And as he did that, he notices there that no man had stood with him. It was a time of great needfulness, and yet no one was there to befriend him. All the faithful Christians whom he had assisted in their obeying the gospel, they were nowhere then to be found. However, he says, but the Lord stood by me and preserved me. He nonetheless was so appreciative and thankful for the great one of all who by His side could stand so faithfully. Can you and I not, in fact, confess and be thankful for the same? As you'll see near the bottom of that slide, there are many matters in the very writings of this one that seem to echo that same sentiment. In Ephesians 5 verse 20, he wrote that in everything you and I may give thanks unto God and the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't it, how powerful that was to the Ephesians? How powerful this must have been to the Thessalonians in everything. 
There isn't a moment of the given day that passes by. But what you and I are critically aware, at least if we're thinking, about how richly we've been blessed. The roof over our heads, the clothes on our back, the character of mental ability God has given us, all of that perhaps leads us to James 1 verse 17. We notice there that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We notice in passages like that one, that we can appreciate that even in that text of James chapter 1, is that powerful lesson about giving thanks unto God. I mentioned earlier about the greatest gift of all, and perhaps it's time to let again the inspired apostle address the same. In the midst of a letter in which he was so thankful for the church in Corinth, for their response to the truth and their faithful obedience to it in light of the first Corinthian letter, he ended chapter 9 simply by saying, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. The unspeakable gift to which he referred was, of course, the great sacrifice of the Christ. The marvelous matter of His coming to do for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. This verse again begins by saying, in everything. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because there are so many circumstances when it seems thankfulness is, does not come quickly to mind. We think more about fear. We think more about harm. We tend to think more about what it will cost me and the sacrifice that might be involved. And I think more about the questions that might arise rather than the thanksgiving that ought to be so proper. Sometimes in great decisions of life, isn't it interesting? Maybe you're battling with a decision. Do I take that new job and leave this one in which I have, in fact, dwelled now for several years? It's a step into the unknown. It's a step into arenas that one has not experienced recently. In times like this, can't we be thankful that not only do we have that first job, but there's the opportunity for another Maybe the whole notion of thanksgiving could be gratefully helpful as we properly sort out which decision might be better. In everything, what does Paul say next? Isn't it next, he says, give thanks? That verb give that's here present, as you'll see on this slide, it literally means that verb by itself to give thanks. It's merely that the English rendition of this has to tack that word thanks on to it because in Greek the verb actually meant to give thanks, period. As you and I notice, the verb give requires action on our part. This isn't something that happens accidentally, and it isn't something that happens without forethought, without preparation, without action. Thanks is not given when nothing is done, is it? And we notice here the Thessalonians were thus ordered. You in everything give thanks. It's a verb of action, isn't it? It doesn't happen with passiveness. It doesn't happen without a determination to bring it about. That's interesting, isn't it, in light of some of those examples that we see on that slide that follows. This matter of giving thanks we seemingly see embedded quite often in the life of our Master. There was that scene in John chapter number 6 
It's recorded in all four gospel accounts, but that one seems to lay a special emphasis on this one who himself there had 5,000 before him. And it says the blessed master gave thanks and proceeded to break what was available and shared it with all of them. The number of that crowd was 5,000, including only the men, including the women, including perhaps children that would have been present. This was a vast number, and yet the Lord gave thanks. He heaped the credit upon God Himself, didn't He? That's only one example of so many others. In Mark the 8th chapter, when we have one record of His feeding of the 4,000, almost identical language, He paused before distribution and before their partaking of it to give thanks. When you and I recall that there seemingly, at least in the 5,000 case, as well as in the other, was such a small amount. Five loaves and two fish, seven loaves and a few fish amongst so many. Even those apostles present questioned, what are these among so many? And yet Jesus nonetheless gave thanks for them. Perhaps a lesson to you and me that no matter how meager what may be on the table, no matter how small the amount of clothes in the closet may be, if there's any there, ought not we be thankful for them? Certainly the Lord was thankful for the meager things with which He physically had been blessed. Doesn't it remind us that our thanksgiving, seemingly we can tarnish it by looking at what we do not have as opposed to be focused on what we do have. And do we not have so much? As Christians, it goes far beyond merely what's so physical and extends even greatly into the realm of spirituality because of that great gift we mentioned earlier. You'll notice perhaps another example. When the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, in the words of Luke 22, beginning in verse 19, yet one more time, He took bread... And blessed it. He gave thanks. And then it says he did something similar when it came to the fruit of the vine. A double presentation of this matter of giving thanks. Of course, you and I realize that all these centuries later, we still give thanks for what these represent. The body and the blood of the Master that which allows you and me to be forgiven from sin, that which does allow us to stand justified, sanctified, and whole in His sight. What a magnificent matter is before us indeed. In everything give thanks. What's next in this verse? We notice as we appreciate this matter specifically of thanks. Let's cast the spotlight for the next few moments on that word by itself. I mentioned previously that the verb actually has within it the concept of giving thanks, but you'll notice here that there is even something besides the determination we noted earlier. There's the mental appreciation of it. After all, the Bible doesn't anywhere encourage flattery. It encourages us to understand what we say, to appreciate and comprehend what we do, and thus the giving of thanks is not to be merely idle words. It's not to be merely trivial consideration. It is to have meaning behind it. Do you and I mean this when we offer our thanks to God? Brother Ted just led us in prayer a few moments earlier in which he so well began that prayer by lifting words of thanksgiving to God for the ability to gather here, 
for the appreciation of that things are well with us. When you and I say those words, may we ever with intensity strive to comprehend and mean what we say. Give thanks. Let's discuss that in the following way. How often do you recall that when Paul made mention of giving thanks, there's almost in Greek at least the element of such great intensity. I list as examples the beginning of the First Thessalonian letter. It may well be on the previous page in your Bible. Look back to 1 Thessalonians 1 with me, please. In verses 2 and 3, he says, We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers. And immediately we notice that here Paul, though greatly distant from the Thessalonians in terms of geographic location, he nonetheless stated a great matter. We remember you in our prayers. Paul was so thankful for them. You'll notice later in the chapter in verses 7 and 8, he says, "...so that you were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia." Paul knew that in Thessalonica matters were not easy. Back in the book of Acts, a listing is given where Paul was run out of town on one occasion because of the people there that were so ingrained in Judaism, they hated the way that Paul preached. And yet Paul was thankful. There was the nucleus of a church there. He was appreciative for their faithfulness. And you'll notice in chapter 1, verse number 3, he says, "...remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope." And in one quick matter, he mentioned all three of those powerful realities of Christianity. Paul was thankful for that congregation. Maybe at this point we might ask, are we thankful for our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ here at Pippin? We so often lift up their names in prayer when they're sick and when they're suffering the loss of a loved one in their family or when they're battling some great crisis in life. But what about all the other times? Are we still thankful for them? And do we mention their names to God, how lovingly we appreciate them? We should. Paul was so mindful of the church in Thessalonica, but one could also list 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Something else of which Paul was so notably thankful. Note that passage with me as well, please. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth." That church in Thessalonica that I mentioned before that had battled so tremendously, they had arrived at a point of greater stability and a point of greater steadfastness. And here Paul said, we're always thankful to God because you've been sanctified and you have believed the truth. You and I can understand that that indeed is a marvelous blessing, isn't it? And here at Pippin, we have roughly 100 on a typical attendance, between 90 and 100 maybe, in which so many are members of the body of Christ. And as we're thankful for each one and for the stability that's here, the longevity of this congregation, and our hopefulness that it shall stand strong and uncompromising and true, in fact, until the end of time. As Paul was thankful for each of these, perhaps it leads us to that glorious scene in Revelation 7. It is there that we are given a glimpse of that glorious, pristine scene in heaven itself. 
there we notice that this figurative number, the 144,000, and together with that an innumerable host of others, they are seated around the glorious scene in heaven. And you'll remember that the four creatures and the beasts raise an anthem of thanks unto God for these who have been saved. And he describes them as those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now may I ask, if those creatures in heaven can lift thanks unto God for the salvation of those who've been saved and the plan of salvation that they have so lovingly obeyed, can we not be thankful for the same today? Should we not be thankful for it? God has been so good to us to give us a plan that we can understand, a plan that can so easily be obeyed, and a plan that can result in the absolute forgiveness of all the sins, iniquities, and transgressions of life. That is something for which we should be thankful. This plan of salvation, perhaps, though, leads us to the latter two parts of the verse. And the next element on our list. Because Paul is very specific. He does not end the verse, in everything give thanks. He goes on to say, for this is the will of God. That word this is a demonstrative pronoun, and it has reference to what is most recently stated at hand. It contrasts to that. But Paul says, this is the will of God. What this, Paul, are you talking about? Giving thanks. It is the will of God that you and I should be thankful. It is His wish. It is His desire. It is His command. And thus, when we fail to do that, when we ignore it, neglect it, or in otherwise do not do it, we are thus failing in this matter of God's commandment, aren't we? This is the will of God. This matter then of thanksgiving that occurs on the fourth Thursday of November each calendar year, is something, at least in the life of the Christian, that must be a 365-day-a-year matter. It's something that should be an incumbent, a real, a genuine, a consistent, and constant part of every day of our life. To be thankful for the abundances that God has given us both physically and spiritually. You'll notice that here are some considerations that challenge us to appreciate this perhaps a bit more deeply. There was that scene in Luke chapter 11. It's one that no doubt has reverberated in all of our minds on many occasions. Ten lepers made their way to a near point to the Master. Jesus had already by that time healed so many and these lepers presented themselves to Him. And we remember that in the Old Testament era... One could not touch the leper, be around the leper, because they, of course, were unclean. We notice that Jesus simply said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest, and lo and behold, as they went, they found that they were healed. The leprosy was gone. This malady that had inflicted them and brought such distastefulness to their life for perhaps decades was no longer to be seen anywhere in any fashion in any way. We notice that one of them, a Samaritan, turned and made his way back to the Master and expressed his thankfulness, expressed his appreciation, expressed the heartfelt gratitude that he had. One of the first questions asked by Jesus is, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? 
Thanksgiving was proper and right on that occasion, but the nine weren't there to express it. They did not invest the effort, the matter, to take themselves to express a heartfelt thanksgiving unto the Master. Where are the nine? Today, does Jesus have to ask that question sometimes about Randy Bybee? Maybe about you? I've done so much for him. Where is the thanksgiving from him? Where are the nine? It's almost as if we can see in a passage like that when a challenging matter for us not to allow the matter of the day, the busyness of it to remove us from the needfulness of being thankful. You'll also appreciate this with me. In Romans the first chapter, we find a glaring error of the Gentiles. And although many of them are listing, one seems to leap off the page to us. In Romans 1 verse 21, we see the inspired writer point out to us that among all these things of which the Gentiles had been guilty, one of them was, neither were they thankful. They had failed in thanksgiving. And as such, the God of heaven, though as great as He had been in blessing them, God says there on that occasion they had turned and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Gentiles had failed to be thankful. You see, you and I can so easily find ourselves in that same lot, can't we? In the busyness of the day, the hurriedness of the moment, the demands of the job, the requirements in all the other arenas of life, it seems it's easy to allow thanksgiving to slide on past us, using God's blessings but not thanking Him enough. May we have a desire, an urgency to realize it is the will of God that we give thanks in everything. And as we strive to do that, perhaps these bottom characteristics on that slide might be of interest to us as well. Paul closes this verse by saying, concerning you. After mentioning it's the will of God, he then personalizes it. Concerning you. You can put your name in that slot as well as mine. As you and I think then about thankfulness, might we ask about our own prayer life and about our own considerations in light of daily thinking. How thankful are you? In a typical five-minute prayer, how much of the seconds are used in thanks versus asking things of God, petitioning Him for something? Is the ratio 10 to 1, 20 to 1? 50 to 1. If thanksgiving is that far on the short side of things, doesn't that speak rather ill of how our feeling ought to be? After all, when the Lord taught His disciples to pray, back in Matthew chapter 6, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's only part of that prayer, but up until that point, we've noticed a great focus so far on Him and a p- petition of Him to give us our daily bread. As it goes on, He certainly then states about the matter of forgiveness, and He states about the needfulness of ever appreciating the glory that should be directed to Him. As we come to all those comments, one final point in the lesson will be ended today. This last statement is, of course, in Christ Jesus. The other prepositional phrase in this verse, 
This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, in his writing, never left far the matter of Christ Jesus, did he? Christ was a central feature and point in his thinking, in his writing, in his Christian life, as Christ must be. Jesus Himself said, For without Me ye can do nothing, John 15, verses 3 to 5. In that same chapter, He would so quickly say, You are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you. The nature of your life and mine in Christ leads us to appreciate maybe these one final set of points. We've mentioned today our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. We've mentioned the church of Christ. We have mentioned the blessings from God that we can enjoy in Christ. And so in a way, everything we've discussed has at least revolved around Christ. You're complete in Christ, Colossians 2 verse 10. All riches are found in Christ, Colossians 2 verse 3. Have the mind of Christ in you, Philippians 2 verse 5. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14 verse 6. In all those verses, hasn't it been easy to see that the centrality of Christ must never be far from our thinking? In Colossians 2, 7, we are to be rooted and built up in Christ. And did He not say we should be thankful for that fact in that very same verse? How thankful are you and I then for the nature of the fact we're Christians? There are individuals around the globe by the multiplied millions who live in places in which being a Christian isn't as easy as it is here. Day by day, they have to meet underground if they meet to worship at all. That is to say, in secretive, hidden, concealed places because the government won't allow it. In other places, we find that there's starvation by the multiplied masses, difficulties and death on every hand, and yet here we can meet in the easiness of the morning on Sunday and do so without fear of someone waiting at the door to arrest us if we come here, without someone carrying a gun ready to take us off to jail if we come. Are we thankful for the easy blessings like that and aren't they so grand? Those kind of blessings perhaps lead us to this point. The greatness of what we see at the bottom of that slide I've mentioned 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and following. I also ask you to consider with me Colossians 4, verse 2, where in both those instances Paul besought these brethren to pray for me that the gospel might have free course. We so often, just as Brother Ted did today, led us in prayer for missionaries that they might have success and safety as they proclaim the truth. We also, of course, in those prayers include wherever those preaching brethren may be. They may be in this very county. They may be halfway around the globe. All the while, we see that Paul prayed for all those things. And didn't he also thank God for the victory that he had in Jesus? Victory over sin, victory over self, victory over Satan. We'll close this lesson today by perhaps two final thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57, we do notice on that occasion that the victory that is yours and mine in Jesus 
Paul said, thanks be unto God. May we always be thankful for the victory over sin because without it, we are consumed in it and we are destined to be doomed because of it. But yet victory over it is so majestic. And then in Revelation 12, verse number 11, we find this statement in which the inspired writer John joined in this refrain when he said that as you and I are able to enjoy victory over the devil, it comes by virtue of the sacrifice of Christ. It comes by, of course, faithfulness to His Word. And it comes in selfless devotion to everything that Christ has commanded. And if we will do those three things, we too could enjoy the victory over all that is the devil and enjoy a grandeur of life evermore. Challenges of thanksgiving. As this lesson ends, the verse again reads, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I trust we've each been reminded of the importance of thanksgiving. As a Christian, it ought to be a daily part of our existence and a very important part at that, keeping us humble and ever mindful of just how good God has been to us. Today, it might be that there's one or more in this audience, though, that's in need of a public response to the gospel call of invitation. Maybe at this point you have never expressed your thankfulness to God. You know Christ died for you. You know that without that sacrifice you will be eternally lost, but to this point you haven't done anything about it. That plan of salvation for you needs to be completed. In that, you need to repent of your sins. You need to confess the greatness of His name as the Son of God and you need to be baptized. It's only in that way that you'll be brought into the fold of God. Once you have begun that walk with Him, have you been faithful? Has thanksgiving been a regular part of your existence? If not, why not? If your sins have been of a public nature, come back to your first love today. Brother Jonathan's chosen this hymn of encouragement. If we could be of assistance in prayer of rededication... In prayers of strength, we'd be honored to do that. If we could be of any help right now, won't you let it be known if you would while together we stand and while we sing.